0: Good morning everybody. it is great to be with you such a sweet sweet time of worship together to be able to just sing that that anthem song of we love you, we love you Jesus And that's what this is all about. everything that we do is to express our love to Jesus, who is our king, who is the one who has done everything for us and we'll be reminded again today in this Series that we are in that you just saw called Hold On to Jesus, that this is about holding tight to him. And in this, even this sermon today that we have is all about to get close and hold on tight. Get close to Jesus and hold on tight to him. And it reminds me of a story that I know I've kind of told before and I'm not gonna tell it in full, but it is that uh, when I remember when I went skydiving, skydiving for the first time and eh, the only time, but when I went skydiving, uh, I remember I had to be connected to an instructor so you're you're sort of like it, it sort of felt awkward and weird and I wasn't really excited about that part of it and then <laughs> when you get up in this plane to 10,000 feet and I have to swing my legs out of the airplane and kind of dangling them uh, over the edge like a kid on too big of a chair and my feet are dangling and then at that moment you're recognizing that I am willing to get close and to hold on as tight as possible because this is scary. This is the only way to survive for me in this moment. And so in that way, for us in this world that we live in, everything, the crazy things that are happening, and really even if everything in the world was perfect, that is the place that we need to be, to be close and to hold on tight Jesus. And so let's read this passage of scripture, Hebrews 10, 19 to 25, where we see in here this whole sense of being close to Him, holding on tight to Him because of what He has done. We even can do this. So let's read it together. Hebrews 10, verse 19. It says this, therefore, brethren, since we have confidence, So we can get close, we can hold on tight to Jesus. We have the confidence to do that because of what he's done. And so we look at this, why, why do we have this confidence? We have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way. Because you see, we weren't always able to get close to God. We weren't always able to be in that very presence of God. We relied on priests. We relied on sacrifices. We relied on rituals for any of that. Even, in fact, the way that it was all supposed to work was that these priests would go into the most holy place, the holy of holies, and to sprinkle blood upon the altar there. And and that's where the Ark of the Covenant was, where the very presence of God would dwell. But only one person on one day a year could go to that place. But now we have confidence to go there because there is a new way, a living way, this way that is about Jesus. It's new because it's not the old sacrifices. It's living because Jesus is alive. Yes, he had to sacrifice his flesh and his blood, but he came back to life again in victory and power. And so we have confidence because of that. But I wanna kinda just help you understand this a little bit more. So I wanna look here, to this picture even that we have on the screen. And this picture is a picture of the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. Okay, this is the Temple Mount. This kind of, this rectangle that you have here, this is actually the same kind of like, footprint and is the same pad and foundation that was built by this one, built by Herod the Great. And these stones are the the same stones and all of that. But in this spot here where now this Muslim shrine, the, the Dome of the Rock stands, that is where the temple would have stood in the day of Jesus and before. And so look here to this picture then where here is that same pad with the temple in that spot. So kind of go back, we go back to the, um, the, the photo. You see, it's like not exactly the same uh, angle, but it's pretty close, right? Where you can see how this is. And the temple stood there. There's different outer courts and inner courts of the temple. And in this spot here is where sacrifices were made. But this building, which we'll kind of zoom in on, This building is the actual temple itself. And uh, so again, out here you've got sacrifices being made. In here is the temple. Now even then within that temple, and this is uh, a kind of a cutaway of because the temple, I don't mean to be confusing but a little bit, the taber, it was called the tabernacle while the people of Israel were wandering around. It was called the tabernacle because it was a tent that would get packed up and moved. Then when the people of Israel were able to settle in Jerusalem they built the full temple but you could still see the inside is the same. And so the inside was the same and this is the temple building. And I just like this picture of this cutaway best. That's why I used it. So you've got this This holy place here, and then within that is the most holy place, the holy of holies. And there was this curtain, this veil that would divide this area. And so only the high priest could go in through that curtain, that's the Ark of the Covenant, and to make that sacrifice, to sprinkle the blood there. And when that blood was sprinkled, it was this atonement, the day of atonement, this covering of The sin of the people for that year. Now, what happened though is when Jesus died upon the cross, when Jesus was that perfect sacrifice, this curtain, this veil was torn in two from top to bottom. And that now that divide, that thing that divided us from the presence of God was torn and opened. And we were able to have access to the very presence of God. It still took a sacrifice, but it was a new sacrifice and a living sacrifice because Jesus was resurrected. And so because of that, we can be close. We can be close to God. We can hold on tight. We can draw near because of what Jesus has done. So because of all of those wonderful things, those beautiful gifts that are described in those first few verses of, these, of this passage, we now can draw near. So let's actually use them. Let's actually do something with the gifts that God has given us, with the sacrifice that he has made. The first thing then that we can do is draw near. We have this confidence, so let's do it. Let's draw near and get close to God. And it says a couple of interesting things. It says that we draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. Okay, so a couple things with a sincere heart. Now, what I love about this is that, kind of what this speaks to me is that we can come to God with sincerity of heart, not having to pose and posture and make ourselves look good for him before we would approach him we're actually able to go to him in our full, real self. We're able to give our full self to him to be completely honest and open with him. So we draw near to him with that sincerity of heart. So I encourage you, as you approach God in prayer, don't try to kind of make all these beautiful words and speeches for God, but just be real. Come to him with sincerity of heart. I also love that we come to him with full assurance of faith. Full assurance of faith, fullness of faith, that we are completely assured of our faith in him. Now, here's a little bit. We, we will understand that we have this assurance of faith, like we have this confidence because of what he has done, not because of what we have done. Uh, I, it, it reminds me of uh, a time when, I used to be super into rock climbing. Okay, I don't know if any of you ever have done that or whatever, but I was super into it. Like I was into it enough, I wasn't great at it, but I was into it enough that I had my own gear. Like I had my own shoes, I had my own rope, I had my own, it's called pro, like with the stuff that you would put into the rock to hold you up. Uh, and so I just, I had, I had the gear, I would go with my friends. And then I remember one time I went with my family. We have this sort of family tradition, not sort of. We have a family tradition where we go out to Joshua Tree for Thanksgiving. And so we were out there, and it was rock climbing. And now when we would go out, I was was the one with the most knowledge. And this was sort of not the place I really wanted to be, but I was the one with the most knowledge. So I was setting this up and we were even doing what's called lead climbing. Now, lead climbing is the kind of climbing where you go up, you clip in, then you climb up a little higher, clip in again. But what that means is like when you clip here, if you climb farther past the spot that you clip in, so let's say you climb five feet higher, but you haven't clipped yet, if you fall, you don't just fall five feet, you fall 10 feet because that's the rope that goes boom. And so you have to make sure you're clipping in and you're safe along the way. Now, my little nephew, who's like a preteen at the time named Levi, he was climbing up, lead climbing, and I was the one in charge. I was belaying him. I was the one in charge, kind of setting all that up, the one that's supposed to be keeping him safe. Now, Levi got about 25 feet up. He got a little, a little ways past the last spot that he had clipped in. When I realized... I did not have everything set up properly. That's not what you want in that moment. And I kind of said, hey, Levi, I mean, no big deal, but I just how uh, you get a good, good spot right there? You know, you get a spot, just, just kind of hold on just for a second. And he's like, what? Okay. Now he's my nephew. My sister is just right next to me. That's her son. And she says, what do you mean, Eric? What do you mean, hold on? And I'm just like, oh, no worries, no worries. And I'm kind of like trying to fix stuff in with my harness and the blade of ice and all of that, trying to make sure that it is set up right. Because if he had a fallen, I realized it would have just been me basically having to hold on to the rope. And it probably wouldn't have worked. And he would have just fallen to the ground. Thankfully, I was able to fix it. And then he continued with the climb and we were safe. I really wasn't that into rock climbing very much after that day. But there's another way that you can have things set up. that's not lead climbing and it is called top rope, where you connect it to something in the top. You can either clip into things or put the protection into cracks, uh, stuff like that. Uh, and, then, and then the rope goes up and down. And then if the person falls, all they do is fall like an inch or less or nothing, you just, the rope holds them. And so I would always love that. And I would especially love if there was like a huge boulder at the top that you would wrap the rope or webbing around and then connect it so that everything was just solid, solid, solid. And what all that reminds me of the reason I tell this, because we're talking about this full assurance of faith, that we have this full assurance of faith is when I was the one that would have to hold the rope To hold the rope so that my little nephew didn't fall 25 feet and get really badly hurt, if not die. That when I was just holding that rope, it is like me having assurance of faith because of my own works, what I could do, what my strength was able to provide. But when I knew it was wrapped around a huge boulder, around that rock, it is like Jesus as that firm, solid rock that we have assurance of our faith because of what he has done, not because of what we can do. And so... Here's the thing, that we have confidence and assurance and we can draw near in all of that. This verse says because of two things. One, because our hearts are sprinkled. That this is God's covering work through the shed blood of Jesus. Just like that priest would go into the Holy of Holies and sprinkle the blood upon the altar there. And all of that would cover our sin. Our now, not not an altar or an ark, but our hearts are sprinkled with God's blood, the shed blood of Jesus. And so that was once and for all. And then this verse also says, our bodies are washed with pure water. And here's what I want you to understand about that, is that this is in the certain grammatical tense called the perfect tense, which what this means simply is that you have been washed of your sin and you are still being washed of your sin. So you have sinned in the past and God has washed you clean of that. But God knows that you keep on sinning so he continues to wash you. That our bodies are washed continually. That God knows that we keep on sinning but he keeps on forgiving. We know that and so we have assurance of faith. We have uh, the ability to approach God and get close to him with a real sincere heart Assured of all of it because we know that when we continue to sin, he continues to forgive. And so then we get close and that's why what we want to then do is hold on tight. Hold fast to him. That's what we want to hold on to. Not anything else. Not our own actions. Not what we can do. Not how good we are. None of that. We hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Because he is faithful. This is all about God. This is all about Jesus and nothing else. This book of Hebrews has been saying that over and over and over. Look to Jesus. Fix your eyes on nothing other than Jesus And then hold fast to him. Hold fast that confession of our hope. And don't waver because it's only Jesus that will keep you and hold you tight. And so why do we do that? Because as he says in this verse 23, he is faithful to his promises. God is faithful. It reminds me of this story of actually of my parents. My parents have been been married now for almost 70 years. I mean, it's incredible. Incredible. And like all of us, when we get married, we make promises, right? You have, uh, you have an oath. You have a, this, this pledge that you make to one another. And so we make these vows, and in these vows, traditionally, often it says, for better or for worse, in sickness and in health. And so my parents been married, they, they had been married, I forget exactly how long, but almost, it was like 60 years at the time. And then my mom got sick with Alzheimer's disease. And that Alzheimer's disease is just a brutal, awful disease. And what would begin to happen because of that is my mom was, really would get angry. She would hit my dad, she would scream at my dad, she would scratch my dad, she'd walk away, run away, she'd leave and all sorts of these things would happen. Eventually she had to live in a, in a care home and she, lost her ability to speak. And so she couldn't even talk to my dad. She couldn't say his name. She would forget who my dad was. So there wasn't a lot that my dad was getting when you think about in that relationship. And you think about for better, for worse, and sickness and health. And what I love to see from my dad, my mom lived in this care home for six years. And my dad, every single day, without fail, every day, went to the care home, sat on the couch next to my mom, and spent time hours and hours talking to her, being with her, caring for her, feeding her her meals, without really receiving anything in return. That, to me, was this amazing example of being faithful to the promises that he had made, for better, for worse, sickness and health. And to me, my dad was a beautiful example, As a beautiful example there of what marriage is about, what marriage is supposed to be about, not what we get, but what we give. We make these vows and we keep them in the worst of times, not just the best of times. But also I think that points me to that my dad just being this tiny little glimpse into the faithfulness of God our Father that he will keep his promises. He will keep his vow, even when we don't. So we hold tight. We hold fast to him because he is the one that keeps the promises, because he is the one that is able to do any of that. But what I want us to also remember is that we have to remember what God's promises are. God's promises aren't well, like, let's think about it. what What are God's promises? God promises to be with us. God promises that we can draw near to him with confidence. He promises it right here. He promises to give us grace, mercy that we don't deserve, this forgiveness that we don't deserve. It's this free gift of salvation. He has promised that to us. He promises to dwell within us through his Holy Spirit and to give us power, to resist sin and power, to be able to do good works for him, that he promises us these things. But he does not promise to give us a life without problems, He does not promise to make you successful in your job. He does not promise to give you money. He does not promise that you'll never get sick. He does not promise to heal every time anyone ever gets sick. He does not promise that we would prosper in the world's view of prosperity. So we have to be clear that God keeps his promise and he will be faithful But he is faithful to the promises that he makes, not the promises that we think that he makes or the ones we have wanted him to make in our flesh. So let's remember that and we get close and we hold on tight to him. But this passage continues. It continues into verses 24 and 25 because we are not just supposed to hold on tight and get close to him, but we are also to help others. It says we are to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. So we are able to have this confidence to draw near and to hold fast to him. Now we are supposed to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. It is not just about us kind of holding on and being close to Jesus and burying our face in his chest and just staying there in that moment forever. Yes, do that. Draw near, hold on tight, just rest in him. But then you gotta look up and you gotta get up and then stimulate each other to love and good deeds. We do good deeds and we help others to be able to love and to do good deeds as well. You see, we are not just an audience. We don't just come to sit and watch, even though you're in kind of a weird spot, probably right now, maybe on your couch, wherever you are watching this, you probably feel like an audience. But I want to tell you, whether you are watching at home or in the seats of this room that I'm standing in today, we are not just an audience. We are an army that is sent out by God to go and to share the love of Jesus and to do good works for him so that people will know Jesus. And then we are supposed to stimulate and encourage one another to do that. And I'm trying to do that for you here today. That is what we are called to do out of our nearness and our closeness to God. So we go and we help. We help each other love. We do good works out of that love. I want to even encourage you that. I think affirmation is one of the great ways that we can do that. That we can stimulate one another to love and good deeds you see in the people around you. You see in them the ways that God has gifted them or the talents that they have or the boldness that they have or whatever it is that they have that that they are doing and affirm that in them. Affirm the ways that God has gifted and shaped them. Affirm and encourage them in that to use that for God's glory. And so I encourage you in whatever way that God has gifted you to use that for God's glory. Not your own, not anything else, not any other agenda, but the agenda of the kingdom of God. To share the name of Jesus with others. We even have a, a way that we're trying to do that as a church now. And it's called this, Pray and Go. Pray and Go. We're, so we're trying to mobilize people to do this, to pray and to go. And what this is, and you can check this uh, out more online. If you go to this, this website, cavalrylifeorg slash pray and go, you can sign up basically to be a part of a, of, a, of a group being mobilized to do this. And what it is, is that we want to get every neighborhood that we have people that are members of Calvary Church, we want to saturate it in prayer. That we want people walking around the neighborhoods, praying over every home and every family and every person in these neighborhoods. And so what we encourage you to do is to go on these prayer walks around your neighborhood and pray for all these homes. And even as part of this that you can do also is even like we'll have these uh, door hanger tags that you can then tell people, hey, I prayed for you today. If you'd like more prayer, you can call me or go to this like, website to find out more. And so there's ways that then you can connect with people as well to pray and to go. And then what we want to be able to see is have people sign up so we can see how have we saturated our county with prayer. Because we believe in the power of prayer. This is a way that you can go and stimulate Others to love and good deeds. So that's the heart of this because faith without works is dead. Our salvation is not from our works, but our faith without our works is a faith that is dead. We are called to do something. Do something. Now, the next part of this verse is kind of interesting for this day that we are in. It says that we are also, so to stimulate one another, with love and, or to love and good deeds. And then verse 25 says, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. All right, so this is a crazy verse when you think about the time that we're in, in this quarantine life during this whole coronavirus thing. I even remember knowing this verse was coming a few months ago and thinking, like, I wonder where we're going to be when this verse comes. Well, here we are. We're here today on August 30th. And we are still obviously in a bit of a quarantine world. And even as some of the, like, our governor, Governor Newsom, put out some sort of new rules, some moving goalposts that I'll admit were Pretty frustrating to me in some ways. And, um, but where we have new rules that seem maybe even more restrictive. But in the midst of that, what we are doing now, what I want us to kind of understand, because here's the thing this verse, this verse is the primary verse that people will use, myself included, to say, like, it is a command of God to go to church, to be a part of a group of people, not just to live your faith by yourself. Cause there's a lot of thought like, oh, I'm just gonna, oh, I'm tired of the church. I'm tired of all the politics. I'm tired of the drama. I just wanna live. It's just, it's just me and God, man. It's just me and God. I'm just gonna have my time with the Lord. I'm gonna live my life. Well, and we say, okay, well don't forsake the assembling together that we are called to do in Hebrews 10, 25. And then in this day now we say, okay, how are we obeying or not obeying this verse? Couple thoughts about this. One is, a room like I am standing in now is probably non-existent when this verse was written. Okay, this is not really kind of the environment that they were talking about. There was some assembling together in larger groups of the the believers of that city, and maybe that was in a synagogue, if if they were able to use that but mostly the vast majority of the time what what sort of church or gathering together looked like for the first century believers was gathering in homes And having a meal together, this love feast, and participating in communion, the the Eucharist, and remembering the body and the blood of Jesus. And having that kind of time together, mostly in homes around their their cities. And so that's kind of how the assembling together would work. So what I want for us to understand is assembling together is not just having a huge worship service inside a church church building. It is much more than that. And I believe that we should not forsake the assembling together in pairs, in groups, and in larger gatherings. Okay, so in pairs in that sense of a discipling relationship, iron sharpening iron, that we are coming together and whether that is a a mature believer helping a new believer along in the faith, or if that is two friends in spiritual friendship sharpening one another. We need to meet together in that kind of relationship. We need to meet together in groups, small groups, here at Calvary we call life groups. So life groups are meeting together. And that is probably life groups are the closest thing to the first century church model than really even anything else that we do. And so that's why we talk about life groups a lot. And that's why I'm going to talk about life groups right now. Life groups are here for you to be able to fulfill that biblical command and for you to be able to have that community that we really are better together. And so if you're not in a life group, I encourage you to go to our website, to go to calvarylife.org slash groups. We need more people to lead groups and we want more people to be in groups. So I encourage you so that you are not forsaking the assembling together to join a life group. But we also as a church are meeting together in larger groups. We have our Spanish-speaking service outside in the morning where they're worshiping together. And then we have our English-speaking service every Sunday night at 7 o'clock out in the courtyard. And it's awesome. It is so awesome to gather together with fellow believers and to worship together, to hear from the word of God together. And it's very, very similar to what we are doing here on this live stream. So I encourage you, if you are not coming and attending that service to come to check it out. If you feel safe to be able to do that, come be part of that because we are not forsaking the assembling together. And I will also say that um, we are continuing to look towards how we can return to meeting together in this room as soon as we possibly can. My, My heart for this has been to obey the word of God, primarily. I have not wanted to meet in this room and then have that be in such a way that we were disobeying the word of God to submit to the governing authorities. And I recognize and know that there can come a point where that feels like, it is not um, that has become in this sense of, of of a government overreach in the way that it is prohibiting us from practicing our faith. It is very difficult for me to say that having to meet outside instead of inside is prohibiting us from from practicing our faith. That seems difficult for me, and so I am unwilling to disobey the word of God because of having to be outside. That's just where, like, my conviction has led me. And I know, and as goalposts are moving, I'm super frustrated by that. And then I do have concern that that could be out of the government's desire to control us versus versus being safe. And so I get it. And I'm very hesitant to even talk about some of this in this way. But we are looking into that. We'll have meetings about that. We're in prayer about that with the elders and with our, our core pastoral staff. But I want us to do what is right according to the word of God. Not what I think is right according to our freedoms as citizens of the United States of America. The Word of God will always, always be the primary source for me in how we lead this church together. Okay, I'll continue. <laughs> uh, that is, uh, so that is not forsaking the assembling together. And then the very last word says, because we need to encourage each other and encourage one another in these difficult days. We are in difficult times and we need to encourage each other. And so it says, don't forsake the assembling together, like basically so that you can encourage each other. So come together in life groups, come together in pairs, come together to our outside service and encourage each other. But don't just wait for a sort of a group opportunity to encourage each other. Do it. You could do it now. We are assembled together online in this way right now. So I would say right now, if there's someone near you, to encourage them. Or to pull out your phone and text somebody right now and encourage them. Just, go, just do it right now. Encourage somebody right now by texting them or saying it to somebody that is near you. And you could actually live out this verse here in this moment. But don't take too long of ignoring me because I'm going to close this sermon out, I promise. All right. And then we're gonna to continue to worship as we sing here in a moment. But as we respond to this, here's what we have to do. We've heard this whole thing, get close, hold on tight so that we can stimulate one another to love and good deeds. So I challenge you to do something. Don't just sit around and be an audience, but be an army for God that goes out, that prays and goes and acts. So spend that time tight, tight, close, holding on, pray, in prayer with Jesus. But now look for ways to encourage, to love, to do these good works and to stimulate others to do that as well. And if that's through this whole pray and go thing, great. If that's through another way, great. But don't just sit still, activate your faith, do something because Jesus has allowed us to draw near, to hold fast so that we can do love and good deeds for him, So let me pray for this for you now. Lord God, I pray that you would help us to understand how we should activate our faith. Lord, I pray that you would build up the confidence that we have inside to draw near to you with sincerity and full assurance of faith, God. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to then do good deeds, to love others, but also to encourage one another to do love and good deeds, God. I pray, Lord, that our church would be a church that is not just about meeting in a room, but is about praying and going and living this life for you on the streets of our neighborhoods and communities and in the lives of the people that you've surrounded us with. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.